Joe presents Liquid Football. Hello, welcome to Liquid Football on Joe. It's the show that takes you inside the dressing room and puts you in the boots of the players. I'm Kelly Cates and joining me this week, former Ipswich and Hull defender Alex Bruce. Also, uh, Jamie O'Hara, once of Spurs and Wolves amongst other teams and now player manager at Billericay Town of the National League South. First of all, have we all recovered? Did you stay up to watch the fight at the weekend? Actually, I was at a wedding and I actually got till four. No. And then I fell asleep. <laughs> you so nearly I made it. It's the fight. But I mean, I, I got up in the morning and watched it. It was a great fight. Fury was different class, really, the journey he's been on to get where he's, you know, to go from the complete bottom of where he probably saw himself to be the pinnacle of where he is now is amazing. Yeah, he's overcome all sorts of hurdles to get there as well. Did you see it? Yeah, I, I got up on uh, Sunday morning, watched it. and uh, That's didn't the clean living phone. way to yeah, do it, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> didn't look at my phone because I didn't want to see the result and... Yeah, like Jay's just said there, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Great to see. And we talk about the hurdles that he's overcome and, and it is, he is a controversial figure because he has had the battle, with, particularly with his, his mental health and, and with, with depression throughout that time and, he, and he's come through the other side of that. He's also had really controversial sort of yeah. homophobic comments and that sort of thing. So he's, he's got a very complex mm-hmm. character and it's very difficult to kind of come to terms with somebody like that when they're in the spotlight, because, of course, you have that fame shining on you. There's movie stars, there's mm-hmm. the world sports stars ringside at, at his fights, and that level of fame is just extraordinary. Is, is fame something that either of you chased or were wary of? What was your sort of relationship with it before you started playing football? For me, it was always an issue in terms of growing up. I always just dreamed of being a footballer. And then, obviously, I married into sort of that kind of world a little bit. And I wouldn't say I was ever a celebrity, but I was in around that world where a lot of the stuff that I was doing was not on the back pages of the paper. So um, I struggled with it massively. I really did. And the problem I had was that I wanted to be this big sort of, I saw that David Beckham as the idol figure and do all that sort of stuff. But I took my foot off the gas on what got me to being a professional footballer you know, and getting to the top of it. And that was dedication, hard work, constantly studying the game and practising. And once I kind of got it, I got comfortable and thought, that's it now, I've made it and I'm going to be there forever. And as soon as you take your foot off the gas and you take your eye off the prize a bit, it's very quickly changes for you in football. So I struggled with it massively and I couldn't wait to kind of get away from it. So... Was there a point then where fame was your was your goal? That was your no, target? No, fame was never the goal. It was never, ever the goal. I, all I ever wanted to be was a footballer. I, just, I was with someone who was in the public eye, so it became part of my life as well. And there were some great things. It gave me loads of opportunities and to do great stuff. But for a time when I was playing football, it was never something I ever wanted to do. It was just kind of thrust upon me a little bit and in the end I got to a point where I was like this isn't me I've become someone I didn't want to be and I struggled with depression and I was down about stuff all the time so yeah I went for a real bad time and I I pulled myself away from it and even come out of football for a a period of time because I just had enough of it all I couldn't wait to get away from it and it took me a while to kind of rebuild myself again. What about you Alex because you grew up in a a different position. I I just concentrated on becoming a footballer really but Obviously, I had an upbringing a little bit different to Jamie, where I had a father like you in the, in the public eye. But and not some... in the same extent, not to the same extent that a footballer is at today. their level now, like a Manchester United or a Liverpool player, would, would have to deal with it now. Exactly. It, would, it was a lot, it was different, but it, it did give you an insight into seeing your dad on the telly, for example, like you would know, and getting stopped in the street for autographs, things like that. But when you brought up with that, it was something that 
I was just used to. So the fame yeah, side of things wasn't their, anything. Players at their level now will charter private planes yeah, to go on holiday. Totally we used to get Dan Air flights oh, <laughs> like, yeah. on we like did. package holidays <laughs> yeah, to go yeah, over yeah. to wherever, which is still all really nice. And, but you'd get on at the end of we the season, right? you would you would bump into footballers and their families yeah. all going out on the same chartered flight yeah. out to wherever it was we were, we were off to. Because that, that's the era we were in, wasn't yeah. it? It was just, uh, you'd, you'd always... I'm, I'm not saying that was a... Cut, but no, just, no, just to point out the difference to yeah. how it is, how it is it, now. It was a regular thing going on all day when you were younger, wasn't it? And seeing football in the same, on the same planes. And you wouldn't really see a Premier League player on a plane now, would you? you probably got your own private no. plane. Now, <laughs> so. That's what I used to struggle with, you know? Like, this is when I realised that it was a problem for me because I was going out, like everyone else, footballers at the end of the season would go to Dubai with their families. And I was going out with my family and stuff, but we'd get out a nice yacht or something like everyone did footballers did but I just got relegated from walls you know and the public eye were on you and it yeah. was on me especially and when you're in it you don't see it it's only when you take a step back and you look from the outside in you go you need to yeah. stay out of this a little bit and you need to get your head down and not and I was still being seen in the public eye getting pictured on yachts and stuff and people yeah. and then you know I look back at myself now and think Oh, what an idiot. What were you doing? You know, why didn't you just stay out of the limelight? Mm. Keep your head down and let things pass by and concentrate on, you know, football. But when you're in it, you don't see it. And that's why I do a lot of talk with footballers now and young lads and that, because they don't see it until it's too late. And when you look on the outside and you look in and you think, if he just had a little someone round him to say... You could do one of them crystal balls, couldn't you? Yeah. Where you could see what was going to happen by the actions that you were making. I know, and you, you? and you look at the at magazine shoots and stuff that they used to do, and I just look back and think, what an idiot. Yeah. You know, what were you doing? But I had no one around at that time to kind of steer you in the right direction and give you that sort of insight and say, look, you're damaging your career here. You're a footballer. You're a good footballer. Concentrate on that. You know, and stop doing this other stuff because it's leading you down a path where it's not going to end how you want it to end. I, I was looking to respect though. Like I had a dad who obviously was experienced and he'd been there and done it. And he, a few times, he'd give me a clip around the ear if I was going down the wrong path or I had a dodgy girlfriend or something like that. He would, <laughs> he would be like sort yourself out, will you? What are you doing? This isn't going to end well. Do you know what I mean? So. I had that father figure who would, would steer me in the right direction, which obviously helped. And it, it's not to say that when there is a certain level of success that you can't enjoy the things that money and success can bring to you. I just wonder with, with you, Jamie, if we, especially you talk about that instance of being relegated with, with Wolves and then finding yourself on a really nice holiday. Is, is yeah. there a sense that there's a gap between what you feel you've achieved and what you feel you've earned? Is that the difference? Yeah, I think at the time I was kind of living a life where I'd, come from nothing, you know, and then I've been given a great contract, loads of money, and I was enjoying my life, you know, but I'd forgot about what made me be successful. So when I was at Tottenham and being in finals and, you know, at Portsmouth getting to a cup final, I earned the money and, I, and then I could, you're allowed to enjoy it to a certain degree if you earn it. And when I went to Wolves, I took my foot off the gas a bit, but still had the money and still had the contract and still had the high life but wasn't producing what I needed to do on the pitch to say, you know what, I can go on holiday and earn that money. I needed to take a step back and realise, you know what, when you take your foot off the gas and you and you start dropping off in your performances and the way you are as a person, you can't then go on holiday and be pictured in Dubai on yachts and mm. giving it the giving it the higher life when people are paying good money to come and watch their team play and you've just been relegated. I had my stag deal, I was going to New York and there was a group of football, I was a group of my mates and there was a couple of footballers on it, I'm not going to say the names, but a lot more high profile than me. But we'd been relegated with Hull about three days before I was due to go away. And like most lads, stag dudes, you're going through the airport, they had a few things planned for me, wanted to stick me in a ridiculous outfit or do what whatever. What did you have to wear? 
the bar at Mankeen's for me. <laughs> of course <they> do. <laughs> Which I wouldn't have fancied going through <laughs> Manchester Airport with it. Anyway, but I just thought, I can't do that because it just takes one picture with a camera phone. Look at this idiot picture. Don't here. tell me that was your excuse. No, that was they my went, excuse. No, 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 I, no, I Alex, you just thanked like, We've I, got a bar at Mankeen. He went, lads, it just doesn't look right. No, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. I was conscious of thinking... If someone takes a picture of us having a, a good time or going on a stag doing acting the goat with the lads and stuff three days after we'd just been relegated from the Premier League, it would be obviously frowned upon, you know? I mean, you're less likely to be noticed in New York, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did get away with a little bit more when we got over there. Were you aware of your... And, and obviously you were aware that people knew who your dad was, mm. but were you aware of, of fame as it related to him? Like, did you know he was famous? I think you always know he's, he's famous. I think it's totally different like what you touched on before now with the social media and how much publicity the players get now. So it was a little bit different back then. But I was always, yeah, I could obviously tell he was, he was famous. And um, that's why it just come naturally to me, really. It was something that I was just used to. People often ask me, what was it like? I'm sure you were the same. Some of your dad's mates coming round and going on holidays and things like that. But it was, they were just workmates who, like anyone, in my eyes, do you know what I mean? That's just the way it was and the way I was brought up. Because I don't think of footballers as famous. No, I don't. No. It, it, Never it's, have. And it's funny. Because it's your, you, it's your work. You say that, right? And people always say to me, like, oh, yeah, you're famous, you're a celebrity. And I'm not a celebrity, I'm mm. a footballer. Yeah. And I tell people the difference in the industries of being in the sports industry and that celebrity world mm. are two different worlds. You know, that celebrity world is like you're chasing it. You have to be in the papers. You have to be here. You have to be at this event and that, you know, footballers that are, you say, famous, they're not dedicated and successful in their job that they do and they work and work and work to get to that. They're role models, aren't they? are role models, yeah. you know? And that the celebrity world and the sports world are completely different worlds. And that's the problem is, is in football, you become the crossover of when you become a big star now, your class is a celebrity, but they're not. They're footballers who have dedicated their life and soul to becoming the top of their trade in their job. And the celebrity world is completely different to that. They want to be controversial. You want to be on the back of the pages and the Daily Mail and all that sort of nonsense. Footballers don't want that, but it's thrust upon them because of who they are and how successful they've been. It's a completely different world. It's interesting because it, it comes back again to that feeling of having earned any of the... And there are benefits that come with having success and, and with having fame and with being well-known. But it comes back to what you were saying earlier on about that feeling of wanting to have earned it, to feel like, well, do you know what, if I'm going to go and do this and if I am going to benefit from this, of course. then I want to feel that there's a ground there, that it's, it's built on something solid. Well, I think that's why at football clubs especially, it, that's put into you isn't it really from your yeah. coaches I mean back in my day like when I first was an apprentice and I'm sure Jane will tell you the same we had experienced pros who if they saw you stepping out of line or getting a bit big for your boots you'd get a clip and you'd get locked in a skip or something like that and thrown in a bath or anything daft <laughs> or thrown in a tumble dryer or that's what the initiation and things like that it was always to ground you to to make you think well you don't get too big for your boots you know what I mean because like any footballer will tell you, it's full of ups and downs, isn't it? Where yeah. you might think you're the Billy Big Balls all of a sudden, you've played a few games and you're good and everything's great and then there's an error or there's a mistake just round the corner that'll bring you back down to reality. But football, you mean you, you define yourself by your profession? It's a yeah. huge mm -hmm. part of, of who you feel that, that you are. Is that... Depression, obviously, is incredibly complicated. And yeah. when you were having those problems, was it that difference? Was it that sense of, if, if I'm doing this, it doesn't feel like me? It's, it's not my life. It's not what I've chosen. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, when I started to really struggle was, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of the fame kind of took over more than the football. 
and that become more of the focus of me and I wasn't playing at Wolves, I was cast aside, I wasn't allowed in the dressing room, I was training with the kids. So everything that I'd ever wanted to do in my life and what I loved the most, I couldn't took do. Away from you. It got took away from me. So the only thing that was focused on me was being in OK Magazine or being in the papers and I started to look at my life and think, this isn't me, this isn't the person who I am, I'm just being someone that the press have made up and all I wanted to do was get to just play football and get back on a football pitch. But because I couldn't, you become further and further down in your mental state. So I really struggled. And in the end, I made some terrible mistakes. I ended up getting divorced. But in the end, I moved away from everything. You know, I backed out of everything I wanted to do in terms of football, you know, all the sort of fame stuff and sponsorship things I had. And I just moved away and for about six months went silent. And then I re just rebuilt myself. And it was actually Harry Redknapp who gave me a chance to get back in. He said, he was at QPI, he was a manager, and he said, come, come down and train, because I'd had him before. He said, Jamie, you're a good lad. Come down and train, get back on a football pitch and find your fitness and we'll see what we can do. And I went back in there and they was apps, he was different class. And he saved, I always, he saved me life, genuinely saved me life. Is that in those, in those six months that you, you took away? Yeah. Is that how bad it got? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was in a terrible state, terrible state. I really was because I didn't see a, a path. I always, so I do a lot of visualisation stuff now and mental health about, you know, as footballers, when we grow up, we don't even realise it, but we're visualising where we want to be in the future. All we think about is becoming footballers mm. and being, you know, the pinnacle of our trade. So you're visualising that every day. Now, if you don't visualise, if you lose that visualisation, so you don't have a path, you don't have a future or a set goal, you become in a world of you're all over the place. And I got to that point where I didn't see a future and I didn't see a path for myself or an end goal. So I was just stuck. And when you get into that position, it's a really dangerous place just to be. Goes, just goes to show, though, how influential an experienced manager like a Harry Redknapp or someone of that ilk can be to a young lad who can point you in the right direction. I mean, we've all had managers who have cast somebody aside and guns get you ready in a separate dressing room and try to ostracise you from the group and... I don't think sometimes people realise what effect it can actually have on people. Yeah, it's yeah. tough. And I we've know. all been there, haven't we? I mean, I know mates of mine who've... People who've had really, really good careers, who've been in the Premier League, who dropped down to, like, a League One or a Championship level, and the manager <coughs> might not think he's got the legs or he's still good enough. So he'll do it to someone who's been around the block and put them in the, the reserves, make them train with the kids. And it gets people in really, really bad ways, and it can be poisonous. Yeah, you have to be aware of how someone yeah. is in themselves and that you're dealing with a, a person, not just yeah. a commodity. Yeah. Well, that me being a manager now, that's, you know, something I'm huge on, you know, like dealing with certain individuals and personalities yeah. and, you know, the experiences that I've had as a player. I've had, you know, adulation. I've had rock bottom. I've been cast aside, not allowed. And I look at that and think... I. I'd never treat a player like mm. that. I'd never do that to someone, even if he's not doing the business for me. Or I always look at it and think, why is he not doing the business? Why is he not performing? Or when you see these managers, I think there's a couple of managers now, I won't say their names, but percent players are training with the kids, not involved. And I just think, how can you treat a person like that who's potentially given you great results and worked hard for the club, done everything, been a model pro, and you just cast them aside? For me, that's one of the biggest you know, stigmas and things in managers these days are hate. People can get power pissed though, can't they, as well? Do you know what I mean? Where <laughs> yeah. people, you think, because they get in that managerial role where you think, I can do whatever I want to people, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I, can, I can bomb him, I can send him to the reserves, I can do this, I can do... I think with experience, as you get a little bit older and the, they get a bit more know-how, especially in management, you realise after a while, hold on a minute, 
if I treat people that way, that way ultimately it'll come back round full circle yeah. and bite me in the ass anyway. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So there are managers who will just who will do that just to assert their their authority, just to say where they are in the pecking Especially order. Especially if you, I've, I've been in dressing rooms where someone's been a big character and they might not be doing it on the pitch and the manager can stamp his authority out by going, right, I'm going to pick on him because it'll send a message to the rest of the group. That's the yeah. way football is, isn't it, sometimes? Oh, I've, I've had, it happened to me, you know, yeah. Kenny Jacket coming at Wolves, we'd got relegated, I had a terrible time. I was big money signing, didn't work out, I struggled with injuries, was in a terrible sort of frame of mind. Kenny Jacket come in, it was a new regime, pulled me into the office first, never met Kenny Jacket, he went, don't want any issues with you, but you're not allowed in the, in the training ground until after 3pm. Well, what happens at 3pm? It's when everyone goes home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, and it was six of us, it was me, Roger Johnson, Kevin Doyle, Foley, you know, like Kevin good Foley. players, good you know, like yeah, good lads, as well. top, good lads, proper lads. So, and it was like, no, that's it, you're done, out. And I'd done it for a year, a whole year, didn't play one match of football. I trained on my own with a coach. They hired a coach, Wolves, to come in and just train us five players. And I look at it now and I think, you know what? That put me on a really sort of, really made me strong in mm. terms of my mental sort of state because I went to a, such a bad place yeah, to come that, back from how, it. How does that make you feel? When oh, you walk the worst, in, the worst feeling. It's like saying you're never going to be allowed well? to be a presenter again. You know? Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the thing it's is, not football, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it can have an effect on the other members of the dressing room because if if Jamie was a big character and I was I seen or if he was like a really close mate of mine and I seen it happening to him. It would affect me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. another thing that could. It, it's got so many different. Yeah, my teammates. They didn't care. They didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Depends how. Good way to sit back on me. Yeah. Yeah, but I was never. See, I always. I was always classed as a little bit as like, ah, oh, he's a bad egg, or he's a bit this, and and I never was. It was always like an outside perception that people had because I was a bit of a loud character. I always have a laugh, and because of the sort of public eye figure that I had, people always think, oh, he's just a playboy, and uh, and if you ask, I love training. I love going in every. Day. I loved having banter in a dressing room. And when someone takes that away from you, it's like taking your legs away from you. Mm, you know, it's the worst feeling in the world. And people don't understand what it feels like when you've worked your whole life to have something to get to that pinnacle, even if it's, you know, just to be a footballer. You don't have to not top, even just championship, league one, to go in every day and work with people and enjoy the game. When someone takes that away from you and you can't do it anymore, it is the worst feeling. Well, in if, the you world. Ask, if you ask most players when you come out of the game, what do you miss the most? It is that dressing room banter yeah. and going into yeah, yeah. work every day and seeing your mates and, and having a laugh. And I've been out of the game now for <coughs> three weeks since I left Kilmarnock. And the one thing that you miss you can is... tell, when you, mate. When you, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Jesus Christ. But uh, the one thing that you do miss is getting up every morning and thinking, well, I'm going to go to work today and I'm, I'm, I'll be with the lads. And, and when that's took away from you, when you're playing and you hear people say that, you think... God, it can't be that bad, can it? But mm. when you're actually on your own in the house and you think, yeah. what am I actually going to do today? It's is it tough. lonely? Yeah, bloody right. It is. You drop the kids off and you think, right, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Especially when you've done it for such a long time of your life and then all of a sudden it ends and you think, God, that is tough, really tough. Yeah. Is that part of the appeal of, of going into management then, to try and get yeah. some of that back? Yeah, for me, it was the, I come out of Big Brother and I went on Big Brother and done that whole sort of thing to change people's perception of me a little bit and the money was great. You know? <laughs> so I wasn't gonna, couldn't turn it down. But after that, I realised, I was like, you know what, I really want to get back into football. That show gave me the, the incentive to be like, I really miss the game. And I didn't before that because the politics and injuries and, and I'd had enough of it. But after that, I was like, you know what, I want to get back into it. 
So I went to Billericay and they gave me the opportunity to start playing, get back in the dressing room. But I always had in my mind, I was like, you know what, I'm coming to the end of my career a little bit, struggle with injuries. So I thought, I'm happiest when I'm around the football pitch and around football people. So how do I sustain that? How do I get that longevity? And it was like, I've got to be a coach. And I always fancied myself as a coach or a manager. So I started to study the game because I knew there was going to be, in the next two or three years, there was going to come an opportunity or a point where there was going to have that chance to go into it. And that was the only way for me, I thought, mentally, to keep myself happy and in a good place was to stay in football. What about you? Are you you're on, on that path, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just at the crossroads now, what, what I'm going to do. And obviously done a few bits media-wise, which has been enjoyable. But I would like to have a crack at it, whether it's coaching or management. But we were talking before, weren't we? It's, it's all about opportunity as well, because you can spend like four or five years doing your coaching badges now, get your first job, have a nightmare, a few results, and that's it, you're out the door and you never, never get a job again. So... Like what you were saying before, I think if you're going to get your first job, it's got to be with a chairman who knows it's your first one. Like anything where you're going to be a bit inexperienced, you can be allowed to make a couple of mistakes, yeah. as long as they're not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just about picking the right job, I think, is, is the most important thing. I suppose as well, like Jamie's saying about you go through that path and you start as a young kid and you play football and you want to be a footballer, you become a footballer and then that goes and then you think, well, but you're second generation yeah. of that. So you've seen that cycle once yeah. and now you're in the middle of the second phase of it. Yeah, well, obviously I've got a behind closed doors look at what it's like being a manager and the, the, the problems it can have in terms of if they have a bad result and what they're, what they're like coming home, you'll, you'll vouch for it. It's horrible. It's, it's, I, it's honestly, awful. I don't... Jamie, close your ears a second. <laughs> it's bad, it's, it is, it is, it's it bad is enough a being a player job. coming home. Yeah, yeah. But I look at my dad sometimes and I, I see when he gets beat and he, he takes the responsibility of the club and the players and it's like he takes it all on his shoulders and, he, and you can see it in them because people think, ah, oh, well, you get paid good money and it's, it is what it is. And I think a big thing now as well, you've got the the influences of social media where you're getting slaughtered down there as well and the family members are getting involved. look at social media? Oh, hates it and would never look at social no. media. Not even to stalk the players. No, no, he was... He's, he's, that's what I would I do. do. Yeah, yeah. I, would have a, I would have a sleeper account and go around and have a look at the players. I'd probably get Sarah Amy, my sister's yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any of them buggers have been in uh, any nightclubs in Newcastle this weekend, you know what I mean? But um, these are all things that people don't see behind the scenes and it's uh, it's tough, really is. But it is the effect on, on the family yeah. as well. I mean, you mentioned your sister. I remember talking, I would say, but I remember talking to your mum and your sister yeah. about it after a game once and say, it's yeah. just, when it's horrible, oh. like you just, and it's not what comes on the manager themselves, it's what happens yeah. to the immediate family as well. But there's a few times where um, it can turn toxic, can't it? Like I look back experience of my dad, like being at Villa, where it, where it got toxic in the end. And there was the, the famous incident where the fella throws the cabbage at me, old man. Like me and my dad are similar kind of characters. I actually found it quite funny at the time. But <laughs> really, when you when you look at it, and it's it's not really. It's, it's it can have a, a negative, especially when you see your, your sister upset, your mum upset, and your my kids now. My, my kids, mm. obviously, my dad's got grandkids where they look at things on the telly and they're, they're asking questions. Why has this happened? Why are they shouting for granddad? Why are they why are they saying this about granddad? It's, these are all things that you just you just have to get on with it and, and try and explain to your kids and your, your sister, whoever it is, that it's part and parcel of what it is. You just have to have, have, to have a thick skin and it can have huge highs football in management as a player, but you've got to be prepared to take the shit as well. Yeah, and you've got to deal with some tricky characters who are going through yeah. difficult situations. I mean, what, what would you, how would you as a manager... How would you handle you as, as a player? Oh, I'd get him straight out of the door. <laughs> <laughs> Transfer to come in. Punish you're him not, to the reserve. Yeah. <laughs> you're not allowed in the training round until after three o'clock, mate. 
um, go and train yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a good question because I wouldn't say I was a difficult character because I was really easy to get on with, you know, as a player. But I had other stuff in my life which created a persona about someone. So what, if I was a manager now and I had someone like that, I'd want to get to know him first instead of making a quick assumption on him. Because I think there's a lot of people who are quick to judge without really knowing the person. So if I was managing me, yeah. I would get to know him first before I made a decision on him. And I would look to him and go, how can I get the best out of this player? Because he's a talented footballer. He's a talented footballer and he's, and he's played at the top. So, you know, what can I get out of him to see if he can still, does he still have the desire? Does he still have the, the heart to do it? And how can I help him? Because we don't know individuals until you meet them properly and, and spend some time with them. What would have worked for you? What would somebody needed to have done? Put me on a diet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, and, and made you stick to it. But what I mean is it's not just about telling a player what to do, is it? It's about getting them no, to no. listen to you and, and to, to carry that out. This is the biggest thing I've, I've learned, stepping into it, and I know it's not the level of someone like Steve, but you're dealing with same the same... Job. type pressures the and same, same pressures decisions. And and you're, you're dealing with the same people, footballers, yeah. you know? and Possibly even a bigger job in some ways in that you're probably more involved in, in different levels. Well, you take on a, a lot club. more. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, it's, you can't say it's a bigger it's job. It's a daunting, because, it's a daunting yeah. task of, if you said to anyone who's never done it before, yeah. no matter what level it is, right, you're going into that dressing room, you're standing in front of all these lads who've got their own characters, own egos, and you're the boss of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. doesn't matter what the level is, it's daunting on oh, everyone, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I just think, as Jurgen Klopp said, I think it was this week or last week, he said, oh, when I was a manager at Mainz, he went, what I did, I've now got five people working for me at Liverpool yeah, yeah. who do that same job. Yeah, That's yeah. When I say bigger job, I mean, there's probably more oh, yeah, facets I mean, look, to it. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, the National League South is, you, you have a manager you have an assistant manager and that's and you might have a coach and a physio that's probably about it you don't have any recruitment yeah. you don't have someone who does your contracts you don't have directors of football you do everything i do the coaching the contracts getting the players in the scouting watching games analyzing you know you do everything but for me I lo i've loved it and embraced it because i'm young and it's but, a great learning and it's curve a great yeah. learning curve yeah. so you're eager i guess if i stepped up the ladder you'd probably say you know what i need a decent scout I need someone to do this analysis because it's hard to take everything on board and be at the top all the time because as a manager, you can be, there's so many different types of managers and I don't think there's any right or wrong way of being a manager. Mm. It's just what I found is, is that you've got to go into that dressing room and you've got to make them believe in what you're doing. However that is and whatever it is, as long as the players believe it and they respect you for it, then it'll work. I think ultimately you've just got to be yourself. If you try and be someone else, like if you went in and said, I'm going to copy... Klopp style or Pep style, one of the top ones, and you, you try and mirror what they do, yeah. you'll get found out in the end. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important that you are yourself, you stick to your own beliefs of what you believe, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, obviously you fall by the wayside. Do you think footballers in, in a football environment are good judges of character? Because they're around. That, I, I don't necessarily mean outside the game, because you see people getting bad advice and mixing yeah. with the wrong kind of friends and stuff, but in a football environment purely... Yeah, definitely. I think when, you, when you're in that environment, it's, that's why you need a good dressing room and things like yeah. that, don't you? Where it's important to have a good group of experienced <clears throat> players who can help the manager out. Because if you haven't got that, it makes your job a lot more difficult, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's key to have good characters in a dressing room and it's key to know your players in terms of who you can rely on and, you know, who do you need to put an arm round? You know, you're going back to me, I'd say I'd probably needed an arm round me a little bit, you know? I didn't need... I mean, someone were hammering me all the time and picking up every little detail of something I was doing wrong that probably affected me more. You know, I needed people to build me up. So you've got to know every individual of the players that you've got in your dressing room. You can't just treat 
every player as a whole. You've got to treat them all differently. If you can pick out the ones that you, I'll put an arm around him, I can tell him straight or you know, bring him into my office and tell him straight, but I won't do it in front of the players because you don't like that. But if you can get that and you build that relationship with each individual, that's when you start getting the best out of them, you get the best team. Respect's a big thing. I think when you've got a manager who you respect, whether he's the kind of manager who will put... We've all had managers who are, who are your mate, who you want to, who can come in every morning who'll... Hiya, pal, how you doing? Have you had a good weekend? What you been doing? And we've had managers like that, and then you've had another manager who would walk past you in the corridor and not say a word. Who would do that? Who would just not talk to you? Not talk to you. I've, I've had managers before where they'll just walk past you in the corridor. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, yeah, bloody right I have. Especially if you get beat on a Saturday as well. Was it well. just you or did he do that to yeah, everybody? Probably, <laughs> probably just me. That's <laughs> no, but no, you have had, you've got managers who just keep themselves to themselves, who don't say much, just keep everything in-house and don't really get to know the players and take a back seat. Whereas if you, manage, you have other managers who will come in and, and be one of the lads. But I think ultimately you can be either way. As long as you've got that respect for the players, yeah. that's the most important thing. Yeah. Honesty, I think, is the, is the one yeah. thing that everybody... Is, and I think that's what you're saying about not pretending to be some, someone you're not. Exactly. Or making false promises. Or, yeah, exactly. The biggest thing I've found, and, you know, footballers are not stupid. You know, they might look stupid, but they're not. Like, they'll suss you out really quickly. If you're not honest with people and they don't see that you're being straight with them, they go the other way, you lose them. Mm. So I've, always, I've found now is if you're going to say something to someone, say it straight to them, say it to their face, because they respect you more for that. If you start sort of leaving them out, not giving them reasons, or you're not happy about something, all of a sudden, mm. you know, you've lost them. And then that seeps into the, that seeps into the camp. Oh, he's saying this or he's saying that. And I think the respect and honesty as a manager is the biggest thing you need to get right. You talked about... Harry Redknapp and about him giving you that chance to get back into the game. Was he the one for you? Was he the, the most significant manager, do you think, in your career in, in that sense? Uh, him and, well, one day Ramos. So two different types of... Ramos gave him my opportunity and he was completely different to Harry Redknapp. He, was, he couldn't speak English, but he had Gus Poyet as his assistant manager and he was brilliant. And Harry Redknapp was the guy who... I remember the first day he walked in at Tottenham when he got the job and I was a good player I was in the team I was on I was on peanuts and he had you know big players on 60 grand a week and I was literally on peanuts and he come in and he said put his arm around me and he went Jane do the business for me for four months to get you a new contract proper contract and that was it that's all he said <coughs> to me but he had me and my drive was immense and within four months he gave me a new deal on the day yeah. You know, and he'd give me that belief to, you know, believe him. But it's only a little thing, but it was that little arm around the shoulder, you know, and little things like that. And when I was down in the dumps and no one wanted me and no one was interested in taking Jamie O'Hara, was blacklisted, he got on the phone and he said, you know what, Jamie, come in, come and train with us. I'll give you a chance. And it was from that moment I went in and trained at QPR and he said, look, Jamie, just start believing in yourself again. Was when actually mm. my career got back on track and I went to Blackpool and I went to Fulham, got player of the season again, you know. Managers like that can make have a huge impact. It was street. In life. It was streetwise as well to know what to say to the right yeah. people. Do you know what I mean? And being, as I say, streetwise enough to be able to. I know what's going to make you tick. Yeah, Jamie O'Hara, and I'll say this, and well, you might give him over there a rocket and say something completely different to get him going. Do you know what I mean? And it's having that know-how to think what to say to each individual. I yeah. think. I'm going to ask you about. The best manager that you played under as well but given that it's a slightly sensitive subject <laughs> I will give you a couple, of minutes, a couple of minutes to think about it just a reminder that you are listening to and watching Liquid Football on Joe I'm Kelly Cates alongside me Alex Bruce and Jamie O'Hara and in the latest episode of House of Rugby Alex Payne and James Haskell were joined by the British and Irish Lions star Sean O'Brien who had a fairly novel assessment of how he became such a good player. I used to be working in the local mart 
Yeah. So basically, I'd be catching sheep all day long and loading them into trailers for, for the f- different farmers. Yeah. And a few of the farmers used to get me from after the mart was over then. Yeah. And they'd bring me and let me sort out all their sheep and stuff with them because I was pretty handy at catching them and throwing them in a tra- trailer. Like. So, yeah. Is it you, a ridiculous question? You can see it. Is it a ridiculous question to ask? Did that have any sort of. I love the idea of Absolutely. Colin Pine Tree. It did. Absolutely. There's there's lads at home that play on my Tuller Rugby Club team yeah. um, that we've coached and they're, they're farmers. And these boys are like, some of the best lads on it are the sheep farmers because they're just, they will chop everything and Spatial have awareness. something by the leg in a minute. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Can you do the Sounds like you're on a night out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but he, the thing is, you know, like genuine, there is a thing when, <laughs> when, when you've got like, Nick Easter had like dad strength. Yeah. Like your old, I was like, when I've met Shorty, he has farmer strength. Like, look at him, like, big wrists, big hands, big arms, big shot. Like, yeah. that, like, counts for a lot of strength. So, Sean O'Brien uh, saying that his success is down to sheep tossing. Either of you practised in that art? I can't say <laughs> that. I've not done any sheep tossing. <laughs> what do you mean, sheep tossing, Kelly? Well, quite. Uh, listen to House of Rugby and you'll find out. Uh, the boys are back tomorrow. They're reflecting on a big weekend, of course, in the Six Nations. And don't forget, TKO with Carl Frampton. Special guest this week, Tyson Fury's former coach, Ben Davison, and the WBA and IBF light welterweight world champion, Josh Taylor. You can watch both shows on YouTube or you can download them as a podcast. Now, Alex, you've had a few minutes to discuss side a few minutes to cogitate i'm not going to say the obvious one <laughs> but um one manager i really really enjoyed working for and it was only for a short period of time because i went on loan to leicester uh, left ipswich was uh, was nigel pearson i really enjoyed working for him a little bit like what jamie said he had that way of he was like a father figure type where he'd put an arm around you and he, he just made everything seem all right whether it was a good result bad result he didn't get carried away he was constantly on a level playing field he treated everyone very fairly there was none of this um, bombing people to the reserves and sending him over there and banishing him to another training ground. Or He was just a really fair, honest guy and what he said to you, you respected. And I think you can see that now, the way he's had an, an impact on going into Watford and, and he's got them playing really well. Steve Clark, who I went to Kilmarnock last year, he was different to Nigel, didn't really say much, but an exceptional coach where you'd go on the training pitch and his, his organisation and his, his sessions were immaculate. So he earned my respect in that way straight away where he was, he, his, his training and everything about his preparation for games and stuff was, was second to none. So I'd probably pick them two as who've really impressed me. So they've had a very positive effect on your career. Obviously, so missing out the obvious one. Um, <coughs> what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened under a manager? The weirdest thing that's ever happened under a manager? <sighs> the Roy Keane situation where we went to uh, the parachute regiment, really. I think that was probably the weirdest scenario uh, that I've been put in in my time. Not that it was good or bad or anything. It was just different where he took us with the Colchester parachute regiment for two days, which was just down the road from Ipswich. We were doing all kinds of stuff from physical activities to, to mental and... I'm not going to go into detail what you're thinking. <laughs> well, come on, I want to know now. I want to know. Come on. No, no. Come on. No, we, listen, we were, we were living off the land, basically, and eating what we... What we, had, we had to kill what we ate at the, at the evening and cook it on a, on a bonfire. And Did you do it? Yeah, we had to do it, no, yeah. Did you personally do it? No, I didn't personally do it. <laughs> Thankfully, the parachute regiment guys did. They were professional in what they were doing, but it was, a, it was an experience, to say the least. But it, obviously, Roy felt at the time it was, it was all something aided to try and create a bit of spirit amongst the lads, and it was, it was different, but enjoyable at the time. Did it work for you? 
No. no. <laughs> we lost the first eight games of the season, I think, so. No, went down like a lead balloon. Well, what, but what effect did it have on you personally then? Because you, you, know, you, can, you can maybe sort of guess at how it affected some of the other players. How did it affect you? It affected me in a way where I respected what them lads do, the paras in Colchester, obviously. I thought, wow, it's hard work. As I say, living off the land. We slept rough that night in the, in the woods. We were up at five in the morning, marching across ravines and, and doing all kinds of stuff. But proper job. Ob- yeah, proper <laughs> job where we thought, bloody hell, it's tough, this. And yeah. I think at the time when you do pre-season, it's always tough, like doing the running drills and everything else. But Not when was, you're at the back. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, but to do something different like what we did, it, it gave an, a different insight into actually what real work is. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the sort of process of being a footballer and, and then when it when it stops and for whatever reason that it stops, we've seen that Alan Hutt and Kenny Miller have sort of announced their retirement in, in the last few days. What are the nuts and bolts of leaving a club? when you know that it is coming to the end of your career or it might be one of the, the last, last moves. I mean, do you, do you go in with a bag, put your stuff in from your locker and, and just leave? Is it, is it that brutal? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much, <laughs> give yeah. it a bin bag, <laughs> there you go, on you go, shake a Kit few hands. Man comes in, the end of the season, you, my contract was, I'm just thinking when my contract's normally you run to the end of the season, so season's up, you know, you haven't sorted the deal out or you're waiting, you go in and... Kitman gives you a black bag and hmm. stick all your boots in there, stick your shirts in there, say your goodbyes and that's it pretty much. See you later. It really is cutthroat like that where you'll be with your teammates every day for maybe four or five, depending on how long you're at a club. And then, like I say, you, at the end of the season, if your contract's not being renewed, that's it, you're gone. And you know what it's like as well? You, you've had a long career and, and I have as well where you'll do a job for like 17, 18 years and you'll you'll be in a dressing room for four or five years with certain lads who you'd class as really good mates. And then when you leave that club, probably count on one hand the people you still speak yeah. to in football. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's madness, really. I, I always say footballers are like ships in the night. Yeah. You know, like they come, they, they spend a bit of time together and then they go and that's it. Probably. But then when you bump into them later down the line, you'll see them and it'll be like, God, I've like seen him yesterday. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you you yeah, might yeah. not have seen that person for... Eight years or whatever it is, it's um, it's quite surreal, really. You leave, so you leave with all your stuff in a in a bag, and you go in the build up to that. If the other players know that that's going to be your last day, they're not like have a cake or give you the bumps or something. No, but, <laughs> but, you know, give you the bumps. You know, you know what I mean? You know, but you know, but what is there not some kind of a little speech or? You know, does, does anybody, it, even a little personal conversation? I think or it depends like what kind of character you are, really, doesn't yeah. it? And how popular you're in the dressing room. I think if you've been at a club for sort of like eight, ten years and you're a massive figure at that football club, then it's different. It's a bit yeah. different. But I mean, me especially, I was probably only at clubs for a couple of years and I was off. So I always just looked at it, it was another chapter, you know, it was another opportunity. I never looked at leaving a football club as, oh, that's it, it's the end for me. You know, I always looked at the positive side of it, of, well, it's another, it's another fresh start somewhere and it's another opportunity to do something. Mm. And footballers are very individualised, even though you're in a team and you work hard as a team, but you're very individualised people, you know. I think the people that affect the most when you're coming home with your kit bag and, you, and the black bag and you're putting it down in the yeah. garage is your family, yeah. you know. I always struggled with that, coming home and saying, don't think this deal is going to happen. We have to look at something else and you're having to move and start again and look for that new contract and getting on your agent. When you're at the football club, you don't think about all that stuff. I think the biggest thing in my experience anyway is not to get too emotionally attached because if you do, football can be that ruthless where you're at one end of the country one minute and yeah. 
in one night you can be at the opposite end and not see it. So I think you've you've got to try and and keep it professional really. And if you get emotionally attached, it can be difficult because ties can be broken very easily. That was the problem with me. I struggled with that. Mm. You know, I was always really emotionally involved. You know, like I wanted to be there, and it was you know when I was at Fulham, I look back and I think Fulham was a the build-up from where I was to get back to playing for Fulham yeah. after being cast aside for so long. Fulham was like my big fingers up to everyone to say I'm back at a big club. And then when they didn't give me a new deal, I really struggled after yeah. that. I went, oh, like I was gone again, you know? Mm. And I really struggled to build myself up and I struggled really mentally because that for me was like, being at Fulham Football Club was a huge deal, you know, and the performances, I played really well, but didn't quite get enough to give me a new deal emotionally mm. got the better of me. Yeah. But I think a lot of players struggle with that. In what in what way did it affect you? Everything you kind of built up for again, you know. As you get older you get more and used to it, but you think oh, I've done all this work and done all this dedication and I haven't quite got that new deal again. Now I've got to go and do it all over again. You've got to get into yeah. a dressing room and yeah, get well-liked again. I'm yeah. popular here. Yeah, I've, I've got, got loads of mates. And I'm even the people behind the scenes, you can have good relationships, not necessarily with the players, the physios, yeah, yeah. kit physios, men. Yeah. We're all in it together where you can be a part of a unit and you find yourself like really popular in that unit. And then all of a sudden you've, you're told, you go in somewhere else and you think, God, I've got to prove myself all over again. And yeah. these are all things, now the supporter might say, yeah, but you're getting paid this a week and you, it's, it's easy. Actually, you're only going into a dressing room, but it's quite daunting if you go into that dressing room and some lads might take differently to you what you were like at your previous dressing yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. You might be well-liked at that club and think, actually, I'm not really having this fella in your new dressing room, do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. it's all different. Yeah. And when you have come on, at what stage are you at? Are you, what are you I haven't closed planning? the door on playing. Yeah. I'm not naive enough to say... My phone's going to be hopping because I'm 35 now, unfortunately. I'm, I'm at that horrible phase where for the last couple of weeks I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is that it? It's horrible, isn't it? I need a centre off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's just... A couple of hundred quid a week, that's it. Travel expenses? Too far. I left Kilmarnock because I wanted to be a bit closer to home with the travelling and everything, but... People don't know that, though, do they? They yeah. don't see that, the travelling, you know? Yeah. Like, you're living in Manchester, you're driving to Kilmarnock, mm. getting up, you know, Listen, like... Listening oh. to you in the mornings on the radio. <laughs> Chat rubbish. <laughs> falling asleep like the wheels. <laughs> uh, no, it was... The, the, the main reason why I left Kilmarnock, I really enjoyed it, but it was the four or five nights a week for a year away from my, my, my wife and kid. I only signed one year contract, so to uproot my two kids would have been a bit much for them out of schools and all the rest of it. So I was in a hotel four or five nights a week, saying bye to my kids, having them upset, where you're like, when am I going to see your dad? And like, oh, I'll see you next week. And these are the side of things where it's tough. It is tough. But um, no, hopefully I can keep playing if I can. I, I still feel as if I've got a little bit of life left in me. But if, if it is something, it's it, it's going to have to be commutable where it's going to have to tickle me in that sense. And thing is, it's all about the overlapping centre halves now. No, it? exactly. Which <laughs> the doesn't help. Levels, it? Doesn't help. Yeah. But you know, people see that. You know, you see managers now, and you say like, yeah, he's thirty-five. People straight away they go, no, yeah, thirty-five. No, no, not for us. You know. But where does that come from? From the manager themselves, or from the board, or from what? Both. Both, yeah. I think it comes from a bit of both. The board especially, uh, you know, they say, oh, yeah, he's 35, you know. But what they don't see, I've got a lad, Ron Henry, played 500 games in the league, he's 35, 36, runs the most, trains the most, and is the most dedicated. Yeah. He's 35, yeah. you know, and he's the best player. You know, so people are really quick to write people off because of their age or where they are and what point they are in their career. But they don't realise 
you know, until you see that person and see him playing, how good they can still be. Yeah, exactly. I, I was, um, a few mates of mine asked me if to go and play Six Aside the other night in Cheadle near where I live, and uh, a couple of ex-players, and uh, Stevie Island was playing. And I'd never, met, I'd never met Stevie before. We were only playing five, six aside, and the amount of ability he had and the yeah, way he was yeah. running around, and you think to yourself, surely he can still, he's only 33. Is he only thirty? Yeah, yeah. And he and, and you think can't get an opportunity. Can't get an opportunity, and he's just and he hasn't he hasn't played now for a, a, a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. The way he was running around and stuff, and you you just think, wow, what what a shame, what a waste yeah. of talent. But he's had a few hurdles in his life where it might have affected him. But by God, still lots of ability. They look still a at fit the, lad. They look at young players now. You know, you say, oh, you know, the young players and you know resale value and all that type of thing. But you know, there's still life in the old dogs. Yeah, know? there is. You there know, is. Still, you got to have a balance. You know, you can't just have a team of young kids because it doesn't work because there's too much inexperience there. And you know, consistency with young players is the biggest thing. You know, mm. they're, they're inconsistent. When you've got them experienced lads and you have the right blend with that is when you put that together is when you get the perfect scenario with a team. And that's how you build a team. You know, you, you can blend them together. So you still need them players in the game. And I feel like they're getting pushed out. I thought when I, when I left Kilmarnock, I thought, Do you know what? I'm going to go back to the North West. I've played 20 games up until now this season where I'm fit and I've played a lot. I only played a couple of weeks ago on Sky against Celtic. And you think, if I go back down towards the North West, surely my phone might ring. Do you know what I mean? No, it doesn't. People obviously look at it and think 35 is over the hill and that's that's the brutal nature of it. And they're just making that judgment on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There is I mean, a I list of. Him on that Sky game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, there's a. Edward did turn you to bits like. <laughs> I'm not going to talk Edward. <laughs> the, um, that's the thing is, it's not done in a way that you go on a, I don't know, like a website. There isn't a LinkedIn mm. for footballers who are coming to the end of their contract that mm. are now sort of available. It's, yeah. it's all word of mouth. You're waiting for people to yeah, kind yeah, of, of hear and thinking, do you know what? I, and opportunity as well. Somebody who's needing a centre half yeah. at the same and time that you're available. And you've got the added one as well of like when you get to my age and you, you come out and you say, I won't mind a, cr a crack at management or coaching or whatever. Some managers might see you as a threat for the yeah, job threat, as well, yeah. which is a thing that people have to, have to just accept that's what it is. I mean, I wouldn't want to bring somebody in who I'm thinking, well, he wants to be a manager and I'm having a string of bad results. Yeah, I noticed Jamie said you can come and play for us. You can't come and be <laughs> my <laughs> <laughs> I have to sign something to say, I don't want your job. But, um, no, you wouldn't get it. No. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so potentially coming towards the end. Well, you are coming towards yeah, the end, course, even if yeah. this isn't the... Of course. Do you look back and think there are any, th any things you would have done differently? Are you fairly satisfied with the, the way it went? I think overall I've been satisfied. Like what I said before, sometimes you wish you had a crystal ball, knowing what I know now, to say I might have been a bit rash in that decision or had that argument with that manager when I shouldn't have. And there's things in every walk of life mm. where you think, we should have probably done that differently. But small things rather than big sliding doors. Yes, yeah, do yeah, but small things sometimes can affect the way someone thinks about you. So I might say something here now that sounds very trivial and small, but it, it, that could change the way a manager thinks about a certain individual. So in hindsight, you, you look back at things and think I might have handled that a little bit differently. But these are all learning curves. When you go into management, like what Jamie is now, you take these experiences on board and, and hopefully take them on with you. Do you think moving into to management, Jamie, because you've talked about the, the times that you wish you'd made different decisions mm -hmm. or the times when it has been really hard for you. Do you think going into to management is almost a chance for you to put those things 
right in your own head in a way to kind um, of to look back at the decisions you could have made differently and think I can I can help somebody else not to make those decisions yeah for me now it's not about myself you know being a manager I never feel like I look back at my career and I think I could have done this I could have done that but should have stayed out of the limelight should have done this but I always think you know what the path I'm on now is because of what I've done in the past yeah and where I'm at now is the best I've ever been and what I'm doing now is everything I've always wanted so I can't regret my past because it's put me where I am today and I look at it and I think as a manager now if I can help my team or some certain players who to not make the mistakes I did and and be that father figure to a certain extent and help them, then I'm using my experience to better someone else in the game. So that for me is why I'm still in it and why I love the game. And that, I think that's the perfect manager to have. If you've got a manager who's, I've done everything. I've not had, I've had the ups and downs. I've had been everywhere. So as a manager now, if I can help a player in my team to find his path and find his journey, that's what being a manager is all about. You can't ask for much more than being happy with where you are right now and Well, where I you're like going. to have Steve Bruce's job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you want at the minute. <laughs> Time now for the Liquid Football Challenge, which this week is Brucey's Price is Right. The boys have to guess the correct original, transfer fee. <laughs> Listen, we're nothing if not obvious. You have to guess the correct transfer fee when I name the player in the move, write it down on your boards, keep it secret from each other, and then it's the big reveal. Whoever's closest right. gets the points. There are 11 players and 11 moves in total. Are you ready? Yes, let's oh, go. Clear. Right. Player number one is a recent one. Erling Braut Haaland from Salzburg to Dortmund. But how much did he go for? That won a lot, wasn't it? I'm looking at that. I'm not looking at Look at his face. Look at his face thinking, how much is that face worth? Do you know what? I don't actually think it was as much as everyone makes out, though. It was a buyout clause, wasn't there? I don't think I'm right, but I think I'm there or thereabouts. Okay. Are you ready? Three, two, one, turn. Oh, there's a... Big gap there. So 15 million from Jamie. Yeah. 35 from Alex. The correct figure is 18 million yeah, pounds. Wow. So you're right. correct. Well done, mate. You're right. It is much less than you think. That's like your dad paying the over the odds one. all the time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> right. The second move is Harry Maguire from Leicester to Manchester United. But how much did he go for? I'm ready. On three, two, one, 80 million from Alex. And I can't see 80. You've both gone for 80 million and you are both within 1.7 million of the correct. 78.3 million pounds for Harry Maguire. So, 1.8. 1.8. Third one, Cristiano Ronaldo. His move from Real Madrid to Juventus. I'm guessing. It is funny when you look, like we've got some. He's old though, isn't he? He's old. Not much older ones, but we've got some in here. And you think it was still a fair whack? It was. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down a little. Mm. You all right? Do you want the cloth? You don't have to use your jumper. I say your jumper's knackered. <laughs> <laughs> you to wipe the well, board. It's giving me that, so but it's, it's bald. Well, you, do you want to use the um, use the, the cloth? That's all right. I'm right. There, I'm right. Rather. No, I need to change mine. No, no, you, no, you no, can't no, change no, that. Okay, okay, okay. You've seen okay, you can't so change. Cristiano Ronaldo win again. From, Real, uh, from Real Madrid to Juventus went for 3-2-1. 60 million from Alex, 112 from Jamie. It was 
105.3 million pounds. Jamie, 3-1. Surging ahead. I'm miles off it here. The other one we had the other week. You got no chance. Ronaldo for 60 million. That's not right, is it? Living on Mike Ashley's planet. No comment. Negotiating skills are up there. Right. Martin Braithwaite has just gone in as a substitute to Barcelona. Leganes to Barcelona. I, he hope, said he's I not, hope his transfer fee was better than his kick-ups on the pitch the other day. <laughs> Did you see he said he's not going right. to wash any of his clothes now he's hugged Messi? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, but what did he go for? Have we got it? Have we both got a number? I've got a nightmare. Three, yeah. two, one, one go. Forty million pounds from Alex. You're Eighty million for Jamie. Mike. I tell you what, Jamie. I don't know. That's really up to date. Your football manager because it is sixteen point two million. Oh, God, I'm having a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> come on, mate. What's coming? <laughs> See, this is the difference when you come a gaffer, mate. You start looking yeah, yeah, at all these. Yeah, yeah. Every time can't sign players for sixteen mil, <laughs> they can't be any good. Yeah, plays for Middlesbrough. <laughs> I was going to say. Right, that was number four. Number five. You're 4-1 ahead. Oh, so we have oh, to go for Steve on. Bruce. Looking well there. From Norwich to Manchester United for how you know much money? He was good as well then, wasn't he? Come on, Alex. I'm sure. You're not, you're not acting as his agent in this case. Are we you, ready? If you get this wrong. I know it's embarrassing, but I'm, I think it's right. Jamie's gone for 4 million. Alex has gone for 800. And the correct price was... 1.08 million pounds. Yeah, so, so, Alex, were, at last, yeah. he got you you're a close. back on the score Must sheet. have been a few add-ons on that. <laughs> <laughs> right, 4-2. Uh, number six, player number six, Kepa Ariza Balaga from Athletic Bilbao to Chelsea for how much money? Or you could say how much money in that tone of voice. How much? He's not playing at the moment. Yeah, Ridiculous. Right, three, two, one, go. Let's see them. Both gone for seventy million, and you're both within two million. Just the two million and seventy-two million pounds with that record-breaking transfer for Kepa Arrizabalaga. So five, three. Jamie's still in front. This is one that's quite widely quoted. So you might have a chance of this one. Andy Robertson from Hull to Liverpool for. It's got to be specific. Yeah. You were there, weren't you? <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. there with how you. Much would, how much would you have paid for him? Off now, bloody hell. <laughs> Name your price at the minute. Oh, it's a specific number, I'm sure. Did you is. think when he made the move that it was going to work out the way it did for him? I always thought he's got the athleticism to kick on. Mm. He just needed to brush up on a couple of things like his crossing, things like He was still good at cr- like them kind of yeah. things, but to go to Liverpool's level... Yeah, but um, yeah, the, way he's, about, the yeah. way he's improved, and he always had the athleticism to yeah. go and be a top player, which he's proved. And it's a little bit different now when you're crossing it to Firmino. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to Alex <laughs> Bruce. <Yeah. laughs> Bruce, some, no, sir. I heard someone else talking about him. I can't remember who it was, and they were saying that their sign that he could go on and have a really good career was that he took everything in, yeah. that he could absorb lots of information and then put it into yeah. into practice. That was his. Hold on a minute. I'm changing yeah. it. I'm, I'm not just, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to talk up or down his price. I'm just, no. <laughs> I'm just saying. What are you doing uh, here? No, hold on, mate. No, you, he's, he's cheating. No, I'm not cheating. He's cheating. Bear in mind, I saw what it was before. Yeah. So I'm sticking it. I'm sticking he's with sticking it. He's sticking with it. He has. He's gone for his original. Yeah. He has All gone right. for his original number. I'll and let's see on. what they both are. 9.8 from Jamie, 8 from Alex. The correct fee is 8.1 million I eight. pounds. I knew it was 8. Jamie Vardy from oh, Fleetwood to Leicester. Haven't got a clue. 
Were Leicester in the Premier League when they signed him? No. No, he got promoted with them, didn't he? Can't be a lot. You'd be surprised. <laughs> oh, it's taken us, it's got, us to the eighth close. player to start on the mind game. Yeah. <laughs> they bought the stadium off the back of it. <laughs> Fleetwood, no, nah, it can't have been a lot. Paid for the whole stadium. The <laughs> can't have been a lot. 1.8 from Alex. Well, 1.8 from Jamie's. He's cheated there. Which, he's means cheated. <laughs> which means you get a point each. It was 1.12, so not far right. off either of you at all in that one. That's a good guess, that, isn't it? Right, 6 5. Jamie is still in the lead. I've started terrible, but I'm bringing it back a little bit. You've <laughs> Transfer come number nine. Mo Salah from Roma to Liverpool. Oh, but what a... did he go for? Oh, I have not got a clue what this one is. I think I know. It wasn't crazy money. Are we ready? Be one or two. Well, Mo Salah from Roma to Liverpool for 65 or 40 million pounds. Jamie, 37.8 wow, million for pounds. that much. That's unbelievable. You see, you're going to start playing football manager now, aren't yeah, you? I am. <laughs> <laughs> for that. Just Absolute for research purposes. Bargain of the century, that. Research purposes. Well, listen, not, you know, I was, Harry Redknapp was my manager as a wheeler and dealer, yeah, yeah. so I, I'm good at getting the numbers right. <laughs> he, can't, he doesn't like being called a wheeler and dealer. Doesn't he? No. He better had it. Even though, he was, even though he was good even in the transfer window. But, it was, but I think it's the implication that a wheeler and dealer has Del Boy implications rather than the fact that he was actually good in the transfer window. He and we should probably good. just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is, so that was What's the scores on the doors? 7-5. Oh, God. 7-5. Yes. With two players left to go. You two. can draw level. Jamie O'Hara from Tottenham to Wolves. Oh, come on here. What's this? Now, I'm quite interested now, because if you get you this wrong, I, I want to know where the, where the difference well, has gone. Well, my agent knows what it is. I don't know whether I know what it is. It depends what fee you've got, though. This is a bit awkward, un- this, because if I know- put a shocking fee, <laughs> you're going to think, what a it was, fee is. It was, oh, yes. Definitely it go was, up. Go they up. definitely yeah. paid more than they needed to. <laughs> I might be overcutting myself. <laughs> HMRC do watch very closely. Yeah, yeah, no. I definitely didn't see any of this money. <laughs> All right. Jamie O'Hara from Tottenham to Wolves for... Jamie thinks five million. You might be right. Alex thinks if four this, million. If this is right, this is embarrassing. <laughs> the correct answer is 3.3. <laughs> that is wrong. That is wrong. There is add-ons on that. It was five. It's seven, six. So the final I don't know where player, you've got that info from, but you're Al- definitely wrong. <laughs> Alex, to draw level. James Milner from Manchester City oh. to Liverpool went for how much? I know money? it. I've got it. I know it. I'm going to go with me gut. I think this might be a curveball. Do you think? Yep. Ready? Steady. James Milner to Liverpool for £30 million, says Jamie. Alex. Did he go for free? He went on a free. Yeah! <laughs> Why would you let why would you let him run out of contracts? <laughs> that is ridiculous. Seven exactly. all is the final score. You drew level. A late rally and you're back We're not level. We're gonna have a, a tie. Off, a do you want off. one? We have got one. Yeah. Should we do the tie? The decider is No pressure, mate. I know. I've let it slip. Wayne Bridge from Chelsea to Manchester City for how much money? You've picked that pen up very confidently. <laughs> Alex has gone very... I can see how he's very specific. He has, hasn't he? I'm he's gone for a decimal point. <laughs> Wayne Bridge then from Chelsea to Manchester City. Jamie has gone for 7.75. Surely it's Alex more than has that. gone for 16.8. And we might need to get the calculators involved. Oh, is it close? He went for oh. 11.7. Jamie. 
You're just close in. Get in there! <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Devastating. <laughs> yes. What a bargain that is as well. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for joining us this week. That is it for this episode of Liquid Football from Joe. We're available every Tuesday. You can download the podcast or you can watch us on YouTube. And if you like what you see and hear, then please leave us a nice review. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page. If you search for Liquid Football, you can join in the chat there. And you can check out our other shows as well. House of Rugby with James Haskell and TKO with Carl Frampton. For now, though, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Liquid Football on Joe.